Hi, this is Hannah Langdell and Nick Bullock, Duke Plastic Surgery residents on The Resident Review, a plastic surgery podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our quick hit series and discussing head and neck anatomy and head and neck congenital. Nick, do you want to start us off by talking about the brachial arches? I know one of our favorite in-service topics. Yeah, let's do it. This comes up, you know, at least a question or two every year. It's, it's kind of a lot of memorization, but uh, something we need to know. So let's get to it. The first arch uh, is the derivative of cranial nerve five, uh, as well as a multiple structures. We'll kind of go through them. It's the mandible, the maxilla, the zygoma, the malleus, the incus, and the muscles of mastication, uh, the tenter palatini and tympani, the mylohyoid, the anterior digastric, the tragus, root of helix, and the superior helix. And the first branchial pouch forms the EAC and the middle ear. That's important to remember. The second arch uh, is the derivative of cranial nerve seven, as well as the stapes, the styloid, uh, the, lesser ho- the lesser horn of the hyoid bone, the muscles of facial expression, stapedius, stylohyoid, posterior digastric muscle, antihelix, antitragus, and lobule. And the second branchial pouch forms the tonsillar fossa. The third arch is the derivative of cranial nerve nine. Uh, and this makes up the lower neck glands, the greater horn of the hyoid, the stylopharyngeus, the common carotid, and the internal carotid. While the third branchial pouch forms the in- inferior parathyroids and the thymus. The fourth arch is derivative of cranial nerve 10. Uh, as well as structures of the upper neck, like the larynx, the laryngeal and pharyngeal muscles, soft palate, including the levator belly palatini, the aortic arch, the right proximal subclavian artery, superior laryngeal nerve, while the fourth branchial pouch forms the superior parathyroid and parts of the thyroid. The sixth arch uh, is derivative of cranial nerve 11, and as well as structures of the lateral and posterior neck, including the SCM and trapezius. Um, as well as the aorta, the ductus arteriosus, and the pulmonary artery. Uh, the other component of this is the branchial clefts. So going through these again, kind of in order, the first branchial cleft develops into the uh, external auditory canal. The second, third, and fourth branchial cleft merge to form the sinus of his. And a branchial cleft cyst forms when the cleft is not properly involuted. And a fistula will form when a branchial pouch and cleft fail to become involuted. Branchial cleft cysts are divided into type 1 and type 2. Uh, type 1 is found near the EAC, uh, inferior and posterior to the tragus typically, but can also uh, be in the parotid gland. Uh, type 2 is found near the angle of the mandible and may involve the submandibular gland. The second branchial cleft uh, accounts for 95% of branchial anomalies and most commonly identified along the anterior border of the upper third of the SCM and adjacent uh, to the muscle. So if we have a, a question asking you kind of what would the what what branchial cleft was the derivative of this anomaly. The second one is a, a good guess. Um, moving on to some abnormalities. So when these structures don't form correctly, we can get some congenital abnormalities. I'm um, starting with the thyroglossal duct cyst. This is a midline structure and a tip, a tip off in a question stem is that it moves when the patient swallows. Um, the foramen cecum originates between the first and second pouches. And this is the opening of the thyroglossal duct. This carries the thyroid to its final position at seven weeks of gestation. The thyroid descends during the development from the base of the tongue into the neck. And if the tract doesn't involute, a congenital thyroglossal duct cyst can remain. This can present as a cyst at the hyoid bone or up to the base of the tongue. And when you resect, you should resect the central part of the hyoid bone. And this is called the cyst trunk procedure, which is something we've been tested on previously. 
Another congenital abnormality is torticollis. So this is, this is congenital neck deformity involving shortening of the SCM. And symptoms are head tilt and limited range of motion with a palpable mass on the affected SCM. Usually resolves on its own, uh, but some may become fibrotic. They may need to be treated with surgical release. Uh, examining these patients, you'll see findings including flexion of the head and neck toward the ipsilateral shoulder and rotation of the head and neck to the contralateral shoulder. And you'll see lack of uh, lateral flexion towards the contralateral shoulder. So those associations are something good to keep in mind. Uh, another good fodder for questions. Uh, Cholinal atresia. Uh, if this is a bilateral condition, the patient may have paradoxical cyanosis, and that is cyanosis that are rel relieved when the patient cries. Um, this is associated with charge syndrome and can be diagnosed via CT showing an enlarged vomer, medially displaced lateral nasal wall, and pterygoid place. A lingual thyroid is a result of a uh, failure of a thyroid to descend, and this can present as a posterior tongue mass with airway obstruction. Subglottic stenosis. Uh, can be membranous or cartilaginous, and this can present as airway obstruction as well. Dermoid cysts are uh, another uh, common test question. These present as mobile, well-circumscribed masses near the lateral brow, and this can be treated with excision. These can also present in the midline, and these, when they're found at the midline, these require imaging to rule out intracranial extension. Uh, Gorlin syndrome is a syndrome characterized by multiple basal cell carcinomas, bifid ribs, scoliosis, keratocystic odontogenic tumors of the mandible. And these include keratinized epithelium without characteristic epidermal architecture, such as REIT ridges. And that's some histology that we've been tested on prior. Amelioblastoma uh, shows palisading basaloid cells. And uh, congenital epilis is a rare benign tumor of the oral cavity that's found in newborns, and they form uh, granular cell tumor, and these can be treated with excision. So that's some of the uh, development and some congenital anomalies we could see the development goes awry. But Hannah, you want to talk about some, some anatomy? Thanks, Nick, for going through that. It's all very high yield. So I'll just go through some anatomy associations to be aware of different uh, foramen. So the stylomastoid foramen contains the facial nerve. The foramen Lacerum uh, will contain the internal carotid artery. Foramen rotundum uh, has V2 traveling through it. Foramen ovale uh, has V3 traveling through it. The jugular foramen is where cranial nerves 9, 10, 11 exit. And next we'll review briefly the zones of the neck. So zone one is the inferior neck from the clavicles to the cricoid. And this is the region that contains the proximal carotids and the vertebrals, the apices of the lung, trachea, esophagus, spinal cord, and thoracic duct. Zone two is the midneck, which is from the cricoid cartilage to the angle of the mandible. And this zone contains the jugular veins, the vertebral and common carotid, and the internal and external carotid. Zone three is above the angle of the mandible to the base of the skull. And this zone contains the pharynx, jugular veins, vertebral arteries, and the, dis the distal portions of the internal carotid. And then lastly, remember that the lacrimal duct exits via the valve of Hassner, which is below the inferior turbinate that came up pretty recently. Next, in terms of some innervation in the head and neck. So the trigeminal nerve is responsible for the muscle mastication and facial sensation. 
The V1 is the ophthalmic branch, and this supplies sensation to the forehead via the supraorbital and supratrochlear nerves. And these emerge from the frontal bone at the superior orbital rim above the mid-pupil. V2 is the maxillary branch, and this supplies sensation to the mid-face and maxillary dentition. Branches of V2 include the zygomatico-temporal, the zygomatico-facial, and the infraorbital nerves. The infraorbital nerve emerges from, uh, from the bone about one centimeter below the inferior orbital rim below the mid-pupil. V3 is the mandibular branch, and this supplies sensation to the superior ear and lower face, including the mandible via the buccal, lingual, inferior alveolar, and mental nerves. The auriculotemporal branch is easily injured posterior to the mandible, the mandibular condyle, where it runs along with the superficial temporal artery. And the mental nerve is at high risk where it exits the buccal surface of the mandible below the second premolar uh, or second bicuspid. The lingual nerve is a branch of V3 that supplies the anterior two-thirds of the tongue. The spinal accessory nerve innervates SCM and trapezius and is at risk as it leaves the posterior border of the SCM above the deep cervical fascia, about six centimeters below the angle of the mandible. The spinal accessory nerve runs with the occipital artery. And just another note for the auriculotemporal nerve, Again, this is a branch of the trigeminal that's most likely to be injured in uh, microvascular decompression of trigeminal neuralgia. And this carries parasympathetic fibers to the parotid gland in healthy patients. The superior oblique muscle is innervated by cranial nerve four. The lateral rectus is innervated by cranial nerve six. And the rest of the muscle, extraocular uh, muscles are innervated by cranial nerve three, the oculomotor nerve. Now, in terms of vascular supply, so there are several branches of the external carotid artery, and uh, we'll go through some of those. So one uh, mnemonic is some angry lady figured out PMS. So S, superior thyroid artery. And then we have the ascending pharyngeal, the lingual artery, the facial artery. And this crosses onto the anterior surface of the mandible, three centimeters anterior to the mandibular angle and runs near the hypoglossal nerve. So branches of the facial artery include the ascending palatine, the premasseteric, lateral nasal, submental, superior labial, inferior labial, and tonsillar arteries. Uh, next for the external carotid branches are the occipital artery, the posterior auricular artery, and the maxillary artery. And there are several branches to the bony portions like the meninges and the inferior alveolar, muscular portions, including masseteric, buccinator, pterygoids, and temporal, and the pterygomaxillary portion via the palatine arteries, infraorbital artery, and superior alveolar artery. And the final branch of the external carotid is the uh, superficial temporal, which has frontal and parietal branches. Finally, we will go through some of the glands uh, of the head and neck. So in terms of the salivary glands, the parotid is innervated by the parasympathetic fibers from the auriculotemporal nerve, but cranial nerve seven passes through the parotid gland. The submandibular gland produces the most saliva followed by the parotid and then the sublingual. So you've been asked this before, but the submandibular gland is responsible for basilar salivary production. The resection of the submandibular gland is indicated for recurrent Cialanditis or uh, obstructive 
Cialidocolithiasis or pleomorphic adenomas. The parotid gland receives parasympathetic innervation from the glossopharyngeal nerve, um, which is cranial nerve nine, and also is responsible for taste on the posterior one-third of the tongue. The corda tympani from the facial nerve via the lingual nerve supplies the submandibular and sublingual glands and taste to the anterior two-thirds of the tongue. So Stinson's duct is in the buccal space, which is bordered by the avicularis muscle, the edge of the masseter, and superiorly by the zygomaticus major and inferiorly by the fascial attachments of the buccinator. Uh, enters the oral cavity opposite the upper second molar. The middle third of the line between the tragus and the upper, the middle upper lip defines the course of the parotid duct. And the buccal branch and zygomatic branch of the facial nerve also lie in close proximity to this. So this can result in sialocele and fistula formation uh, if there's injury in this area. Superative uh, sialanditis is treated with antibiotics in sialagogues and also with warm soaks and uh, fluid replacement. So Frey syndrome is something that we are concerned about when there's injury to the parotid gland. And this is due to mixing of cranial nerve 5, auricular temporal, parasympathetic with surrounding uh, peripheral sympathetic sweat glands. And this can cause gustatory sweating. So innervation to the hard palate is via the sphenopalatine and nasopalatine nerves. The posterior supplied by the greater palatine, the soft palate uh, supplied by the lesser palatine. Nick, do you want to finish us off by talking about some of the dentition? Let's do it. We love our teeth anatomy. Um, so the periodontal ligament anchors the tooth in the socket. Uh, the lingual nerve is at risk for injury during third molar extractions, uh, given its proximity to the lingual border of the mandible. Hyperdontia usually occurs in the maxilla when it does occur. It's more common in males and more common in permanent dentition. Uh, and ectodermal dysplasia is associated with hypodontia. Uh, something we get tested on a lot is benign masteric hypertrophy. Um, this is associated with repetitive clenching of the teeth. Um, for mild hypertrophy, you can use Botox or anxiolytics, um, and surgical resection can be used to improve cosmesis. When you are using Botox, you inject uh, 30 to 50 units within the body of the masseter. Uh, unilateral condylar hyperplasia is overgrowth of the, of the mandibular condyle. This is present with uh, unilateral facial enlargement, deviation of the, man, of the mandibular midpoint to the unaffected side, class three malocclusion, and a crossbite. This can be treated with condylar resection. A myxoma is a slow-growing benign tumor commonly seen in the mandible or maxilla um, and should be resected with clear margins. And uh, finally, we'll talk a little about obstructive sleep apnea. Um, the most common site of obstruction uh, is the uvula and the lateral pharyngeal walls. Um, the most common corrective surgery of the of, uh, obstructive sleep apnea is uvulopalatopharyngeoplasty, or UP3. In this, you remove the uvula, the lateral oral pharyngeal tissues, um, and the most common site is retropalatal area, including the lateral pharyngeal walls. For sleep, obstructive, obstructive sleep apnea, tracheostomy is curative, but uh, obviously has high morbidity and a CPAP and tonsillectomy can be used for mild disease. And I think that wraps it up for, for our quick hits on head neck anatomy and congenital. And we'll see you next time. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, 
The more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.